Well, growing up, I loved Sunday mornings because Sunday mornings were when those comics would come out that were at least in the color, at least in my hometown newspaper. The colored comic strips would come out, and I, I loved reading those. I especially looked forward to the Peanuts uh, comic strips on those mornings, but after I finished reading the Peanuts comic strips, of course, I would move on and read the rest of them. Um, and after, say, 15 minutes or so, I would come to the end of those comic strips and it would be the end of uh, my, my participation with the newspaper and I would give the rest to dad. I didn't care about anything else that was in it. But, but we live in a different day, uh, far different. We are flooded with so many voices, not just the Sunday comic strips and not just the Sunday newspaper, but so many voices that are vying for our attention, many of which come through our phone, but certainly not limited to it. But through the internet and through all the other things that we have, we have access to constant news cycles, 24 hours a day, constantly you can find new things to read about, constantly receiving new emails coming into our inbox. You can go to your social media and scroll and find new posts from people you know and people who you don't even know, but they're still your friend for some reason on social media. Uh, you can tune into your favorite podcast, and if you can even keep up with it all, you'll still find more to listen to. And and this is just the beginning of it all. I haven't even talked about the, the voices that we hear from the people in our lives, our family members, the people we work with, the people who we run into, be it neighbors or people in the grocery store. There are so many voices in our lives that are vying for our attention. But in this morning's text, we read of a voice that stands above all the rest of the voices. And there's a voice that we must listen to. The writer of Hebrews opens up his letter with these words. He said, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, we could move through this too quickly, but it's just an incredible thing for us to recognize that God speaks to us. Formerly, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so when you hear the prophets, you might think of the likes of Isaiah Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and the other prophets that, that wrote those prophetic books in our Bibles. But it's helpful to note that the entire Old Testament is full of prophecy. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews has in mind here. Not just the prophets in their literary sense, but all those writers who, who penned scripture. Writers like Moses. Moses didn't write the prophets, he wrote the law. But, but Moses was, in fact, a prophet who spoke on behalf of God. Prophets like David, though he was a king and not a, prof a prophet in the, the proper sense, perhaps, he nonetheless prophesied and wrote God's very word. I think he has in mind the entire Old Testament canon, and he will go on to quote the Old Testament throughout the rest of this book, the writer of Hebrews will. The writer of Hebrews tells us that God's communication has been ongoing with his people. Long ago, at many times, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, from the very beginning of the Old Testament to the very end, God is a God who has been speaking to his people. And his communication has also come to his people, he says, in many ways. Consider that he spoke to his people through the law written by Moses, as we've already said. But not only that, he didn't just speak to them by giving them commands, but he also spoke to the people by giving us the Psalms written by David and the likes of Asaph and the sons of Korah and and many others. And everything in between, God spoke through dreams, 
and visions, through ceremonies and signs and wonders. God is a God who has been speaking to his people. He, he speaks to us because he intends to communicate something to us. But even with all the variety we see in the Old Testament between the, all the different prophets, all the different voices that spoke, these many authors, we see that there is one author, and it is God. God is the one who spoke through the prophets. But even still, though it is all spoken by the prophets, it is all coming from God, you might even say there is still a sea of voices there in the Old Testament. These many voices would have been coming through to the people of God throughout many times and many ways, and it would have been like putting together a puzzle, trying to understand what all is God trying to communicate to us. And so the people of God studied his word carefully to try to understand God's word. But in all of this, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews continues. He says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to us by our fathers, to our fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, in contrast to the, the Old Testament, in contrast to the, the ways in which he spoke by the prophets at many times in many ways, he tells us that now God is speaking to us by his son here in these last days. Here in the New Testament, we, we see there is the same author, the same God who is speaking through the prophets is now speaking through the Son. But here through the Son, we have a full revelation of God and a final revelation of God. And it is a revelation that we must listen to. When Jesus came, he came into the world bringing a full and final revelation of God. And so in the midst of all the seas of voices, even today, all the more so today, I want us to listen carefully, attentively, diligently, and repeatedly to the voice of God's Son who has spoken to us in these latter days. And that Son, of course, we know is Jesus Christ. But all the same, I don't want us to miss the singular author of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews would want us to do. And it's certainly not what Jesus would want us to do either. Listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, those older writings that came in many times in many ways. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so though the message that we proclaim today the gospel that we preach is one that comes to us with greater clarity as it comes to us through Jesus Christ all at once. We need to know that it is not a contrasting message to that which was spoken before. As the writer of Hebrews says himself, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has been speaking to us for ages and he is not speaking in different ways to try to confuse us, but to help us get greater clarity as to who he is. And so to make this message clear, he sent his son to speak to us. And so in the sea of voices, I, I, I am hoping that we get away from this. I'm hoping that we see that we ought to pay careful attention and listen to the voice of Jesus. And I see in this text this morning, seven reasons why we should listen to Jesus. And I think this text is going to actually help us launch into the rest of Hebrews because I think the rest of what he's going to say largely depends on what, what groundwork the writer of Hebrews lays here in the first four verses. John Owen said of these verses that it is the main hinge on which the rest of the arguments that this apostle writes throughout the rest of his letter. 
So we're going to see these same themes that are introduced here throughout the rest of Hebrews. Uh, but for today, I hope we see at least seven reasons. There are at least seven reasons why we should listen to Jesus. But let me clarify what I don't mean by this. What I don't mean is that we should play, pay closer attention to just the red letters in our Bible. I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews intends us to hear when he talks about God speaking to us through his son, at least not merely the red letters, the, the, the words Jesus spoke while he was here on earth. The message that Jesus spoke is not contained in a single sermon. The message that, that Jesus spoke is not even contained in just his words alone. But rather, I think the message that the writer of Hebrews intends for us to see is the message that was carried forth by Jesus in his entire earthly ministry, both his spoken words and the, the deeds that he has done. And listening to Jesus, we should also clarify, does not mean we merely hear his words in our ears. Jesus himself would tell us what it means to be a hearer of the word. Jesus said in Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the flood came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so if you hear me talking about hearing the words of Jesus, I'm not saying merely listening with our ears, but I'm meaning people who, who diligently listen and hear and meditate on and even obey the words of Jesus. And so as we walk through these seven reasons, I think we could, we could certainly go through it verse by verse, line by line, phrase by phrase, word by word. But I think there's a more helpful way for us to, to walk through the text this morning. You see, the writer of Hebrews didn't just string together a list of, of descriptions of Jesus through the remainder of these verses, but rather he's arranged a description of Jesus, this one who speaks to us in a, a chiastic structure. He's arranged at least verses uh, two through four in, in a, a, a chiasm. And it, it's an X-shaped pattern that, that is working inwardly and then outwardly again. You can put up the, the chiasm if you would here. Uh, so at least you can see the way it works. Uh, you see A and A there at the top and bottom. They correspond with one another and B and B correspond. And then the very center of it, there's the two C's. And so I'm gonna work through this chiasm, through our, our, our text, uh, going from the very center of it. I'm gonna start from, C1, the first C, that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And then I'm going to go to the second C. And I'm going to go back to B1 and then I'm going to go to B2 and then A1 and A2. And, and that's going to help us walk through the structure of, of this chiasm so that we can get a full picture of who Jesus Christ is, the one who is speaking to us, the very word of God. Let's start at the very heart of this chiasm in verse 3. The writer of Hebrews says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The writer of Hebrews here gives us two images to describe who Jesus is, and so let's consider them one at a time. First, consider what it means for Jesus to be the radiance of the glory of God. That word glory is oftentimes closely associated with light, and so you might compare this to the light of the sun, and when you feel the, the sun's warmth and when you see its light, you would say, well, I, I am experiencing the sun. That is to say, you are experiencing the radiance of the glory of the sun. 
So too, when you experience the glory of God, when you experience God, you experience him through the Son as he, in fact, is the radiance of the glory of God. Some even see here this, this term, in the radiance of the glory of God, a uh, reference to that which, is, that which is referred to by some as the Shekinah glory, the, the physical manifestation of God in the Old Testament. So whenever there was that physical manifestation, some see what, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do is saying, whenever that physical representation of God was experienced, it was the Son who is the radiance of the glory of God. And then the second image he uses to describe Jesus is to say that he is the exact imprint of God's nature. You might understand this by considering a, si a signet ring that would have been pressed into hot wax. And whenever that signet ring was pressed into the wax, what would be left there is an exact imprint of what that ring represented. So too, if we see Jesus Christ, we can know exactly what the invisible God is like. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so why should we listen to Jesus this morning? Well, because he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, or because Jesus is God. The very nature of God dwelt in Christ. He is fully God. Jesus spoke the word of God, yes, as the prophets did before him, but those who would try to strip Jesus Christ of his deity by trying to say that he is merely a prophet would make a grave mistake. When Jesus came to his disciples at the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. May that be our confession for every single one of us here, that he's not just a prophet, not just a teacher, not just someone who we should listen to and, and pick and choose what we want to hear, but one who is speaking as God, because he is the Son of God. When Jesus spoke, he did not speak like the prophets who, who announced the word of God, saying, thus says the Lord. But rather, when Jesus spoke, he spoke on his own authority because he is God incarnate, the word put on flesh. And throughout the rest of our text, and the rest of Hebrews for that matter, and the rest of the Bible, you cannot make sense of who Jesus is if you do not first come to understand that he is God. There is so much to be observed about Jesus, so much to be observed even by the word that the, the writer of Hebrews is going to go on to unfold here before us. But if you were to try to explain who Jesus is to say a skeptic or a child and you weren't to tell him that he is God, you would be left dumbfounded, unable to fully explain who Jesus is. You'd be left like the disciples were on the boat. You remember that scene where Jesus calmed the storm, the wind and the sea, they obeyed him and the disciples marveled among themselves saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds obey him? Answer, he is God, fully God, clothed in human flesh. Not a mere man, not a moral teacher, not another prophet, but one who stands in a rank of his own. C.S. Lewis in his, his book, Mere Christianity, is well known for having said these words. He said, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. 
You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus Christ, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit him out and kill him as a a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to him with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he does not intend to. Why should we listen to Jesus Christ? Because he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Listen to the voice of Jesus. For God sent him so that he would speak to us the very word of God. And moreover, we see this, that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now moving to the, 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 the next part of that chiasm here. We should listen to Jesus here because he upholds the universe. Hopefully you see why it's helpful to begin at the heart of this chiasm and not start anywhere else. Because right away, if we we see that Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power, we are left only acknowledging the fact that he is God. Because a prophet cannot do that. A moral teacher does not uphold the universe by the word of his power. Jesus said this in John 5, 17. My father is working until now. And I am working. Jesus Christ is doing the very work that God does. God holds all things together. So too, Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. I want us to picture what exactly is being described here by the writer of Hebrews. What does it mean to uphold the universe? Well, this illustration is not unique to me, but it's helpful because there are four pillars in this room that are upholding the ceiling. And those aren't there for decoration. In fact, they're kind of a nuisance if you're sitting behind the pole and can't see it in in, in certain times, wherever you sit, whether it's the worship leader or the preacher. But they're there for a reason. They're there to keep the roof up. They're there to keep this roof from collapsing in on us with all the weight of snow that is on it this morning. And if we take them away, the roof will come collapsing down on us. So too, Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. If Jesus were to not speak, the universe would cease to exist and be upheld in the order that it is. It would fall back into the chaos, formless, like it was was in the very beginning before he separated the day from night and the sky from the sea and the land from the waters. And notice the way that he upholds the universe. Jesus, he upholds it, he says, by the word of his power. Everything that has its order here today is so because God speaks. The sun rises and sets each day and keeps, and the earth keeps its orbit around the sun because Jesus keeps it. He upholds it by the word of his power. The moon we see at night is where it is and is not just creaming into the earth because the Lord upholds the moon by the word of his power. And not just the, the earth around the sun and not just the moon, the moon around the earth, but every single star, all the billions of stars are upheld and kept in place by the word of Jesus Christ. Everything is in his control. He is sovereign over everything. 
both in the telescopic sense and in, in, in what is above and beyond what we can possibly see, but even down to the smallest details. Jesus said this, not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father. So too, God is, is in control of whether the sparrow lives or dies. So too, he is in control of every single one of our hearts that are beating right now. Every breath that we're breathing right now is sustained by the word of his power. And there is no shortage of examples to show that Jesus is God himself who speaks with the very power of God. Listen to this wonderful account that captures the power of Jesus' word in Matthew 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, the centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And so skipping ahead to verse 13, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Such is the power of Jesus' voice. He simply has to say the command and all the sickness and all the atoms in the world obey what he says. And it's not just sicknesses and disease, but even the storm obeyed him as we've already seen in Matthew 8 with just a word when he said, peace be still. It's not just the storm, but even the other powers in the world, the demons themselves are cast out with just a word of Matthew 8 when he said, go, and they fled only by his command. And even the dead themselves respond to the very word spoken by Jesus. When Jesus spoke to Lazarus, he cried out to him in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And so he was raised from the dead. All creation is subject to the word of God. All creation is upheld by the word of his power. And if sickness, storms, and demons, even death, listen to the word of Christ, then who are we not to listen to his voice? Now, an attentive listener might think I've contradicted myself even in this point by saying that, that God, who is both meticulously sovereign over every single atom, would still have us obey by his command? Doesn't that contradict itself somehow that, that I would tell you to exercise your will when God does whatever he wills? The reality of God's sovereignty doesn't make sense to us. Know that it is because it is too vast for us to possibly comprehend. Like I said, he is God and we are men. Consider this though, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, who builds the house, the builder or the Lord? The answer hopefully, is yes. So as long as the, the builder builds, it is the Lord who is building it. So long as the watchman watches, it is truly the, the, watch, uh, the Lord who is the watchman who protects the city. He is the one who upholds the house, upholds the city, and upholds the universe by the word of his power. And again, maybe a better example would be from Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where Paul said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
understand that the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility is a deep subject that we will never be able to fully comprehend, and yet it's revealed in God's word for us to embrace. So may the Lord help us understand what he's revealed to us in this. Let's work out further from this chiastic structure, and let's go back now to Hebrews 1-2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed as the heir of all things, Here's our focus, through whom he also created the world. He not only sustained the world, but Jesus created the world. And so listen to Jesus this morning, for he is your creator, my creator, and the creator of everything else that is in the world. You see, the reason that the creation obeys the voice of Jesus is because it recognizes his voice that was there at the beginning Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's no surprise to us then when John opens up his own gospel, he introduces Jesus in this way. That incarnate word, he says, was there in the beginning In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And of course, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we know that Word to be Jesus Christ. And so, when we talk about God as the Creator, know that Jesus Christ is God who created everything. This is in part why God communicates to his people. He communicates to his people as his creation because he knows what is best for his creation. And so it's no surprise to us that after he made Adam, Jesus gave instructions to him. And the Lord commanded man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day you eat of it. You shall surely die. You may recount that everything was good there in the beginning, but only for a time up until Adam and Eve stopped listening to the voice of God. And we know that the world has been broken and distorted ever since then. When we doubt the word of God, and when we don't listen to the word of Jesus, we act as if we are creatures who know better than the creator. And it is absolute folly for us to not listen to our creator. It is, it is more foolish for us to not listen to the voice of Jesus than it would be for us to take orange juice and fill up our, our cars with orange juice, expecting our cars to, to get here in the snow this morning by the power of orange juice. If you were to pour anything besides gas into your car, you would be worthy of ridicule. And yet how much more foolish is it for us to disobey the word of our creator who knows what is best for us? And yet this is exactly what each and every single one of us has done. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the word of Isaiah does not stop there. He continues, and the Lord has laid on him, and we know that to be Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. If you find the word of Jesus to be burdensome, if you find his commands to be like that of Pharaoh's commands when he charged the the Israelites to make brick without straw. If that's how you hear the commands of Jesus, like he is a cruel taskmaster, then you have yet to hear the full revelation of God through Jesus Christ. 
Let's go to the other corresponding part of this chiasm in verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Just a few words right there. After making purifications for sins. Only five words in our ESV Bibles. But what wonders have been communicated in those five words? Why should you listen to Jesus this morning? Fourthly, because he has made purifications for sins. Now there's a detail here in our ESV Bibles that, that you won't see because it's, it's a different word. At least the translators gave it a different word. But the word here that he made purifications corresponds with that which we saw before, that he created the world. In fact, it's the same word. He made the world and he made purifications. You see, God is not just a God who, who made the world and then left it alone. As we've seen already, he has graciously been upholding the universe, though we fully deserve to be destroyed by the floods and fires of God's wrath. But more than just upholding it and let it continue until we die, Christ came into the world to make purification for our sins. This language of making purification, it is priestly language. Jesus here is acting as a priest who makes a sacrifices for sins so that the people of God might be able to dwell in the presence of God. But more than just a priest who offers the, the blood of bulls and goats as a sacrifice, Jesus, this priest, offers himself as the sacrifice for sins. This is why when Jesus comes onto the scenes, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the maker of the world and the savior of the world who saves by purification of his own blood. So much has been communicated to us simply by the death of Jesus Christ. So much that we're going to see as we continue going through the book of Hebrews. In his death, Jesus reveals God's holiness. Jesus reveals God's justice. Jesus reveals God's anger against sin. But perhaps most vivid is the, word, the, the most vivid word and clear word that's communicated through Jesus' death on the cross is the love of God. Listen to what John says about God and sending his son into the world. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. There it is. You could see the love of God. It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Oh, that we would listen to the voice of Jesus who communicates to us the love of God. But not just the love of God, there is another word that is communicated by Jesus' priestly office. A word that was spoken when Jesus was there on the cross in John 19. He cried out, it is finished. I wonder if we listen carefully to those words. Jesus did not speak of having paid 99% of our debt, only to leave us to, to pay off the last percentage of it. No, he paid the whole thing. Salvation was finished there at the cross. And so our text continues in verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, this is the continuation of Jesus doing his priestly duties. 
Some commentators see here an allusion to the, the priestly duties that would have been carried out on the Day of Atonement. You can read about it in Leviticus 16, but I'll just read a portion of it. Aaron shall present the bull as a, a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals and fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense and, and beaten small. And he shall bring the incense into the veil and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat over the testimony so that he does not die. You understand that, that, that Aaron, the high priest, would have gone into the very holy of holies. He didn't just make sacrifices outside, but he, he went into the very presence of God. What a terrifying job this was. What a dangerous job this was. And yet this is the very work that Christ has done for us. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So listen to the voice of Jesus this morning. He has made a cleansing for your sins. Listen to the voice of Jesus this morning. His voice speaks a message of good news for sinners. That of cleansing sin. Listen to his voice. And while I'm urging you to listen to him this morning, what really strikes me is why I need to even urge anyone to listen to such good news. Why would anyone need to be urged to listen to the, the message of God's love for us and sending his sin to die so that we might have life, eternal life in him? Why would anyone need to plead on anyone's behalf to listen to the voice of Jesus? It is owing to this. Hearing we do not hear. As Paul said at the end of Acts and quoting the prophet Isaiah, go to the people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. And it's no wonder that this good news is rejected by so many. You see, the gospel is not a word of flattery for the proud let me read you who Jesus is now going to the very top of this chiasm in verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed as heir of all things. Here's the, the fifth reason to listen to Jesus. He is the heir of all things. And yet this is the very reason so many people would refuse to listen to him. You see here in Jesus's being the son of God as the heir of all things, there are at least two things to be noted about this. First, he is Lord of all. And you see, if he is Lord of all, it means you are not. Up until a certain point, even the most wicked person would love the message of the gospel. God loves me? Great. I love me too. 
Those who would believe in God in this way deceive themselves, for they have not listened to the full revelation of God that was brought through Christ. The message of Jesus Christ, that gospel is good news, but it is only good news for those who hate their sins and love Christ. But here's the problem. People love their sins and hate Christ. Paul writes of this in 2 Timothy, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Such people, they have a resemblance to, to being godly people, but but Paul tells us they are not godly people. They do not love God. They only love themselves and their own passions of the flesh. And so such people, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4, will not endure sound teaching. They will not listen to the voice of Jesus, but instead having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. Many want Jesus as a Savior, but not many want Jesus as Lord. But may it not be said of us. Listen to the voice of Jesus, all that he has said, both the good news that he announces and even the commandments that he gives. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed as heir of all things. Understand what is wrapped up in this term, heir. Jesus owns all things. The world belongs to Jesus. And so do you. And he does not redeem us simply so that we can live how we want, but rather he redeems us so that we can be a people of his own possession. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Christ, he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death. But understand, he did not humble himself so that we might exalt ourselves above him. No, Jesus, he humbled himself. But as we're going to see by the end of this chiasm, this son who is to inherit all things, will receive his inheritance. Look now at the corresponding part of this chiasm. Hebrews 1, 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on, on high, having become much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. I'm going to be brief on this point. I think everything else has been pointing up towards this end. We are to, to listen to the voice of Jesus because he has inherited a greater name, a greater name than anyone else you might ever listen to, including yourself. Jesus, in this revelation, as he comes to us sent by God, he comes as a prophet who spoke. 
Jesus comes to us as a priest who makes purification. And he comes to us as the king who rules and reigns. And for those rebels who do not submit to the king, you would do well to listen to Psalm 2 and the sober warning that is given. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They don't want, they don't want to submit to Jesus. So they take counsel together, but he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And that is, of course, Jesus Christ. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Now, therefore, O hearers, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. God has spoken to us through his Son who is the heir of all things, who has inherited a name that is above every name. So listen to him. For in these last days, Hebrews 1-2, he has spoken to us by his son. Maybe the most plain and obvious, but the sim most simple reason we can listen to him this morning is because God has spoken to us through Jesus Christ. Remember, this is the hinge on which the rest of the letter rests. This theme of Christ speaking and revealing God to us through his person and work is going to be seen over and over again throughout the remainder of our study through Hebrews. But these words act as an overture, in a sense, introducing the major themes that we're going to see developed over the course of this letter. But let's go to the very end, at least close to the end, and listen to the words of Hebrews again. He says this in Hebrews 12, 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, how much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? Brothers and sisters, every day we are exposed to so many voices. A sea of voices, a sea of voices that threatens to drown out the one voice that is above all the rest. But just as we cannot see, drink all the water that fills the sea, so too we cannot possibly listen to every voice that speaks. So let us make sure that we listen to the one who speaks the word of God, Jesus Christ. In the midst of the sea of voices, let's listen carefully to him, attentively, diligently, repeatedly to the voice of Jesus, and let us learn to be both hearers and doers of the word. Jesus' word comes to us as one that is superior and sufficient. So believe that word and obey him. May the Lord give us grace to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word that you have given to us through Christ. 
Lord, it is a word that is good news for those who are humble and submit to your lordship. And so may you give each and every one of us hearts that are humble, hearts that submit to your word, hearts that submit to your rule and reign, and hearts that love Jesus Christ even more than our own sinful flesh. Oh Lord, we want to be lovers of you. And so would you transform our hearts from one degree to another so that we would be like Christ as Christ himself is the very imprint of you. Lord, make us more and more like him. Make us holy. Give us desires for, for him and for your glory above this world that is quickly fleeting away. Lord, have your way in us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.